All right. I have mentioned my children. And so you guys know, I was brought up with one sister. Sports were not that big of a deal. If you've met my husband, you know football is a big deal. Football and baseball. I've learned a lot in 22 years. And we have three boys. So now I'm a football mom, which was terrifying at first. Because they're not playing flag football. They're all playing tackle, even my tiniest. And it's the cutest thing, guys. Eight-year-olds in football helmets and pads are the cutest things. Because <laughs> they, like, bounce off each other. <laughs> it's adorable. They don't like being called adorable, but <laughs> I think it's super cute. But I've learned a lot. Um, and they love tackling. Like, boys have this, like, thing in them. I saw it in my oldest when he was first crawling. Like, if you got down to play with him on the floor... He'd get this glint in his eyes like, ooh, you want to play? And he would like, like take you down. You, you had, we would tell people, please know he's going to try and tackle you. It's just he's not being mean. All of them do it. Do you, anyone with boys, you understand? Yeah, my daughter did not do that. It was a whole new world for me. So now we give them pads and a helmet and let them do it, and it's great. Um, our youngest, though, our older two, they were always like big for their age. Ben is not big for his age. Our pediatrician for a long time always said, a growth spurt's coming. <laughs> it's not coming. A poor child. So he's going into football, and he was a little like nervous at first because he is a full head shorter like than all the other players. Like He's standing there, and like when they huddle around the coach, he's either doing this or he's like just pushing them aside and getting in front like, can you move? I can't see past you. It's Again, it's adorable. He doesn't find it adorable. But his team made it to the playoffs, and then they made it to the championship game. They lost, but they made it to the championship game. While he's in these playoff games, he is finally at the point where he is, like, going hard, playing hard football, bouncing off other kids because he's trying to tackle them. It's really fun. But, like, one of his last plays, like, he full-on tackles this kid, and he's holding on for everything he's worth. Like, his toes are dragging behind him because the kid keeps going, and he's like, oh! going through and eventually the kid fell over I don't know if he tripped or what but the kid fell down so Ben finally stops when he stands up and he's like breathing hard like <sighs> and his coach just said sack go take a break just breathe so that he could go on the sideline and then they tossed him back in and he kept doing it over and over again but as I'm watching that I thought man I feel that like as a mom I feel it but I'm sitting there as a person living in 2021 I was like I feel football more than ever before. Like, I'm just sitting there like, yeah, I feel those tackles, like, over and over and over again. And, like, I'm kind of just waiting for a halftime. Like, Lord, could there just be a halftime? Um, sometimes thinking, am I, am I going to be the little guy in life all the time? Am I always going to keep getting tackled by bigger things? Um, sometimes I lose the thrill of the game and just want the game to pause and the game of life just pause for a second, please, so I can, you know, sack, go take a breath, go catch your breath out there. Um, and I'm, I can't be the only one, right? Like, I'm, it's, it's been tough. Like, I, see some, I see some little nods out there. But life is hard, and we feel, feel beat down maybe a little or maybe a lot. Or, like, maybe that right tackle has your number, and he just keeps coming after you um, with thing after thing after thing. Um, and... There's a reason that we sing the songs that we sing because we feel that way. There's a reason these songs exist because we all feel that way. There's a reason we've got this right here 
to remind us that we're not the first ones to ever feel this way, the first ones to ever deal with these issues. So we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4 today. So while you're turning or clicking or just don't put it on Audible and turn it on, but as you're getting there, let me tell you a little bit about Corinthians. 2 Corinthians is probably Paul's most personal letter. Um, He's writing it to a church in Corinth. He's writing in response to hearing news concerning some of their victories and some of their failures that need to be addressed. Corinth, where this church is located, think big city. Corinth was the epicenter of commerce for southern Greece. They have two major harbors. They have a bustling trade and tourism industry, wealthy blend of Roman and Greek culture. You could find anything and everything there. Fine wines, linens, olives, fresh drinking water that was clean and good for you. Spices, meats, you name it, they had it. They had sporting events. They had theater. They had all kinds of entertainment. It was a big, bustling city. They also had, because it's a big, bustling city, they had the Temple of Aphrodite, which was their central shrine. I'm not going to explain that one. You can look that one up on your own. Google it, not now, or voice to text. Don't do that. Um, They had prostitution, slavery, foreign pagan practices, sexual perversion, false gods. There was even a term to Corinthianize something. This describes the debauchery and moral depravity that was celebrated in Corinth. So I wanted you to know that because this is where this church is, nestled in this big city that has everything and everything. So they're covering all their bases as a city. This is where, where Paul is writing to this church, this passionate, if you read the whole thing as a letter, because sometimes we look at these as books and we... We call them books of the Bible, but these are letters. So this is Dear Corinth. So if you read the whole thing as a letter, you hear the passion that he has. Because sometimes we think of Paul as being the grumpy apostle who's super, like, to the point. And sometimes people think of Paul as having, like, this grumpy look on his face whenever he's talking to them. Read this as a letter, and you'll, you'll hear his passion and his love for this church. These are his babies, like... These are his, his people. And so he's writing to them with this passion and addressing these issues. And by the time we get to chapter 4, the issue that he's addressing is that there were some leaders within the Corinthian church who were accusing Paul of not being a true apostle because he suffered, because he was poor, because he wasn't that super polished look with you know the skinny jeans and the shiny shoes and the I don't even know what's any more flannel shirts. Are those? Probably not. But they're accusing him, saying, you know, if you were really all that great, um, would you really be suffering? And how come you're not, you know, a little bit more polished? Why don't you have more money, Paul? Why don't you have this? Why don't you have that? What's up with all this jail time and persecution? I thought you were like a super Christian. So Paul's addressing this, and he spends half, like the end of chapter 2 and chapter 3 talking about and defending his calling and his ministry and what they're doing and why they're doing that. So by the time we get to chapter 4, he starts addressing the suffering. So we're going to start in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. Actually, I'm going back up to verse 5, and I'm sorry to the people with the slides because I didn't put verse 5 on there. Just think you see 5 up there. You see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. 
For God, who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. Now, can you imagine being a Corinthian hearing this for the first time? Because they're not reading it. It's being read to them because there's one copy, this whole church, and it's being read to them. You know what might have stuck out to them? Fragile clay jars. They're in Corinth. Like, they're surrounded by opulence and wealth. They want to be like polished marble. And Paul's like, we're a clay jar. That's like saying someone, we're a styrofoam cup. Something that's useful, but that isn't meant to be lasting forever, that isn't the prettiest thing. No one takes a styrofoam cup and puts it on your mantle and go, isn't it gorgeous? Because it's a styrofoam cup. I've, most people then wouldn't take the clay jar and hold it up as, isn't this an amazing thing of beauty? And he's saying God's very light, the light of Christ is in this fragile clay jar. But see, they wanted power and strength. They wanted Paul to be more superstar and less human suffering servant that he was. Possibly because they themselves wanted to be able to avoid being that clay jar. They themselves wanted to avoid the suffering and the persecution and pains of life. Because maybe if I could have a polished marble life after coming to Jesus, that would be really great. That would be really nice. But instead, Paul gives them... A paradox. He's really good about bringing us paradoxes. So he brings us power in weakness. The indescribable value of God's gospel treasure versus the apparent worthlessness of the gospel minister. So he's telling them, this body right here, it, it's worth nothing. And he's not saying that, he's not disparaging the human body or disparaging the fact that it's fragile. He's not like calling it bad. He's saying in light of the glorious amazingness of Christ, this body means nothing. I can handle the suffering. Look at what I got in it. Like, how cool is that? I'm sure he didn't say cool, but I think, how cool is that? That Christ put his light in this clay jar. And he did it on purpose. He did it for a reason. Because if, we come to, if when we come to Christ, he made us superheroes, Again, I have boys, so bear with me. Superheroes that can blast through all of life's problems, able to leap tall, tall mountains in a single bound, bulletproof, immune to suffering and trials, skin made of vibranium, everything that would make me be able to just handle life, then I'm pretty sure people would want to worship us. They would want our t-shirts. They would want to dress up like us. They would want our costumes, our image, instead of God Almighty. So he's like, you guys have this backwards. You have this wrong. This is just a clay jar. He puts his gospel treasure of indescribable worth, not in something shiny, lest somebody else get the praise. He puts it in the very mortal, everyday, wearing out, extremely human clay jars so that all will know that the all-surpassing power is God's and God's alone. It's not mine. As we go through trials and difficulties, we know, just like Paul knew, 
that when we're at our weakest, Christ shines brightest. Paul keeps going on. This is one of my favorite books of the Bible. Paul keeps going on not wanting anyone to think that he's just flippantly saying, oh, you know, I'm nothing, Christ is everything, like, you know, it's a greeting card. And so he continues to say, I get it. I understand suffering. I understand that I, I have the credit to be able to say this to you. So he starts in, if I turn the page, he continues with verse 8, we're pressed on every side by troubles, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We're hunted down, but we're never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. On this side of it all, I stand I'm like, yeah, you tell him, Paul. Yeah. But on this side, in my everyday wearing away life, I really want to be Corinthian and just be like, can it just be shiny though? And, and I, I don't know if I, like, I love this passage because it's super empowering, but at the same time, I don't like this passage because he's saying, yeah, yeah, I'm going through it, but, but I've never been abandoned. I mean, yeah, this has happened, but God's still there. I mean, yeah. And I'm like, how many more I mean, yeahs are you going to tell me about, Paul? Because it's hard. And he says, well, of course it's hard. But the light within us is so much more beautiful. And when we go through, when we're at our weakest, Christ shines the brightest. Ooh. And there's more. Because I find myself saying, okay, well, so what do I do with that? What do you do with that when you're, you know, facing what you're facing today? Because markets still crash. People still lose their jobs. Loved ones get sick. We still get, you know, medical diagnoses that freak us out, that stop the world because that's not what we had planned. We still have friends that we thought that were true, get mad over something silly, and then walk out of our lives. Marriage is still split up. Things still happen. We're still in this broken world, Paul, so what, what do we do? When you're hard-pressed on every side, surrounded by troubles, when you're baffled and perplexed and not sure of what to do, when you're attacked, assailed, spiritually terrorized, or knocked down and tackled again and again, Paul, what do we do? He says, first, read the rest of the chapter. So we read the rest of the chapter. Yes, we live under constant danger of death, because we serve Jesus. So the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you. But we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith the psalmist had when he said, I believed in God, so I spoke. We know that God who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. All of this is for your benefit. And as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving, and God will receive more and more glory. That's why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them all. Rather, and they will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. 
For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Woo! Yes! So what do you do? You have to make a choice and refuse to give up. That's hard to do, but, but you have to make that choice. Intentionally guide your heart and mind. Like Paul says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Pastor Jerome just spent a whole preaching series talking about how to do that. Worship. Worship him. When we worship him, it takes our eyes off of ourselves and puts them on Christ. As we do that, our thoughts are filled with him and not what we actually see around us. Because what we actually see around us can be so daunting at times. And that's why he says, hey, over here, eyes up, eyes up. Look at me. Don't look down. Look at me. Don't look down. His word right here is life for us. Get in the word. When you're choosing to, you know, refuse to give up, intentionally put yourself in this word. Not because I'm a good Christian and I should check the box and read my daily devotional. Not because of that. It's because this is God's word for us. This is alive. This is God's breath breathing life into us. And for that, we read it. For that, we get life from it. This is God speaking to our dry and weary and battered and bruised and tackled down again and again souls. Because he knows that we need it and he says, just come to me. All of you who are weary and broken, just come to me and I'll give you rest. You find rest with these words. If you only see this book right here as one more thing you have to do, you're going to resent it. And you're going you're gonna to want to push it aside. And you're going to say, nope, I don't even want this anymore. I'm done. But if you see this as life and breath, then you're going to wake up hungry. You're going to wake up saying, oh, I need that. You're going to say, I'm short of breath. Sack, go take a break. Go catch your breath. Okay, I'm going to go catch my breath. Because now I don't resent it. Now it's not just another to-do list. This is, this is food. This is food for me. This fills me up when I'm hungry, when I'm at my very lowest Use things. If you don't have one of these with you when you're driving to work, at a stoplight, don't do it while you're driving, open up the Dwell app, open up your Bible app, open up whatever app you have that can read you the Bible. Get his word in you. Fall asleep hearing the word of God. Listen, if you need the Dwell app, go to our website. We can help hook you up with that. If you want to use the Audible version on your Bible app, use it. Listen, read it. Memorize it, dwell in it, meditate in it. There's actually another app that I, or not an app, another thing that I use called Dwell Differently. I don't actually have a tattoo, y'all. I don't even like pain. I'm shocked I have my ears pierced or that I have children. This is my scripture memorization technique. This is a company, it's actually called Dwell Differently. And I've joined this group of women who decided that they were going to find a new way to memorize scripture. So every month, I, this is not a commercial, I'm just telling you because I'm super stoked about it because I'm like in month three and I am over the moon about it. So every month I get a new scripture and it's a word picture, but it has the first letter of every word in the scripture so that I remember, oh yeah, what was that? Yeah, it starts with that. Okay. So once I get that and I start memorizing it, every time I see this, it reminds me of that word. Every time I see this, 
it puts the word back in front of me. It fixes my eyes off of what I see. And you know what this month is. Therefore, we do not lose hope. Though outwardly, we are wasting away. Yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. And you know what? It's a heart. It's not like a heart. It's like the human heart. And my kid, one of my, I think it was Hawk, saw it, nope, Manny. One of my boys saw it the first day and went, huh, that's like a, a real heart. I think you needed that. So if you know anything about our family, we needed to hear that. I need to be reminded, we're wasting away. But <laughs> we're being renewed day by day. So I need to be drawn back to Paul saying, this means nothing because God's far more concerned about my inside. And he's renewing that while outside is. And if you keep going in Corinthians, he starts talking about how this is just a tent anyway. And this is not meant to be eternal. This is to remind me how much I need Jesus. Woo, y'all, I love Corinthians. You keep going with that. Okay, but I'll keep going with this. Abide. So get in the word. Praise, worship, abide, spend time. And I put that as something separate from the Bible reading because that means get in with Jesus. Spend time in with him. Praying and listening. I talk a lot. And sometimes I feel like God's just like, Shh. Just listen. And I'm learning, and I put the I-N-G instead of the E-D because I haven't learned it yet. I'm learning to just be quiet and listen to the Lord. It feels weird sometimes to be sitting because I sit across from an empty chair. And it feels weird sometimes that I'm staring at an empty chair, but I'm staring at that empty chair because I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that my God wants to speak to me and that he likes spending time with me. So I sit on my back porch by myself, and listen for his voice. And the more I do that, the more I know what his voice sounds like, the more I have this really cool relationship with him, the more I'm reminded when everything falls apart, literally, who I can rely on because he's been sitting on my back porch with me every day, talking to me and listening and talking. Abide with him. And the other thing I would tell you to do is make the pre-decision decision. Aha, uh -huh, that might sound weird, but let me explain. So if you know what you believe and you've already chosen when you're not in crisis and you say, I believe this because I know God is holy, because I know that God is faithful. I know that I can trust in him. This is the decision I'm making. Jesus is my savior <clears throat> and I will trust in him. I make that decision and then when the world shuts down, when life goes crazy, when my husband ends up in the hospital, I don't have time to question. I don't have time to think. I have time to say, Jesus, you got me. Because I made that pre-decision decision. I've already chosen this is what I know to be true so that when everything goes and I can't think about anything, my heart says it's all right. It's already there. We're already with Jesus and he's who I'm leaning on. Make the pre-decision decision and be intentional. It doesn't just happen. Good choices don't just happen. Disney will tell you, Hallmark will tell you, follow your heart. Don't do that. That's pure nonsense. Also, don't fall in love with somebody who's singing in the middle of a forest. Bad idea. Don't just kiss them and marry them. That's not okay, but that's what Disney tells you. That's a decide. 
guide your heart. Because if you don't, you end up in bad places. Because if you just say, que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be, where in the world are you going? You have no end destination. You're just driving on some road lost somewhere. But if you make the pre-decision decision, that's like opening up GPS and saying, I want to go here. Get me directions from my destination. Yes, please, because that's where I'm at. And hit the start button and follow. Make that pre-decision decision. But maybe you're here today and you're saying, Heather, I really, <laughs> that's not my thing. I'm just here because somebody invited me. I'm here to make my mom happy. Thank you. I'm here just because I was driving by and I thought, you know, sure, I'll check it off my list of things that I've done in my life. I'll go to church. I just want to tell you why we're crazy enough to think that any of this is worthwhile. This whole suffering for Jesus, suffering through life thing, this is why we are crazy and think that this makes sense. And Aaron read about it earlier. Because Jesus is more than just a platitude or a press-on tattoo. Jesus is not just a Hallmark card. He's God's only son who came to earth, left heaven, like heaven, cool, amazing, indescribable heaven to come to dirty, nasty earth. Dirty, nasty dearth before indoor plumbing. Dirty, nasty dearth. Earth. Dirt. New word. He gave up all of that to come here because he loves us. He loves you. That's why Julie is jumping around like a crazy person on a Sunday morning. That's why Aaron is shouting for all. That's why I'm like, yeah, in the middle of it all. That's why John's up here saying, wow. It's not just because we're lunatics. Sometimes we feel like lunatics because we're responding to the fact that Jesus Christ gave it all up, came here, lived a life that I can't live, that you can't live, that none of us could ever live. Sinless, pure, holy, lived that life here on broken earth. And then he suffered and died the death that we all deserve because of love, because of pure and holy love. And then he rose again, no longer dead, rose again. Woo! Why? To make us right with God because we're born into sin, because, because of a choice that Adam made, way, Adam and Eve, way back in the day, still affects us today because sin is in us. Sin is not our action. Sin is our disease. It is our separation from God. But Jesus said, you know what? I'm going to do it right. I'm going to come down. I'm going to die for them. I'm going to raise and make them right. And you know what? All you have to do is choose them. You don't have to pray a fancy prayer. You don't have to walk the aisle. You don't have to raise your hand in front of a group of strangers. You cross the line of faith. And you say, yeah, okay, so God, I have that sin thing that she's talking about. I can't do this anymore. I believe in you. I need you. Be my savior. And then you join the crazy bunch. Who knows that there's a reason we do all of this? Because that indescribable, amazing, ridiculous light of Christ is now inside you. Whew. Like that. That just makes me excited. And you'll get it if you make that choice. If you choose. And you don't have to tell somebody. It's probably a good idea. You know why? Because we don't do this alone. Just like John was saying, we, Pastor John was up here saying, we don't do this alone. We're not meant to. We're meant to lean on each other. And you know what Paul's saying in here? We don't do this alone. 
This was not a personal one-on-one conversation letter. This is a letter to the church. This is, if you will, a group assignment. This is a group project. And the test we take is open book. We have everything that we need. Again, I'm a mom, bear with me on that. But this is a group project. We work together, we don't work alone. I mean, how cool is that? Yeah, he's, he's telling me, you know what? Yeah, I'm gonna suffer. I do suffer. I've been through a lot. It's worth it, and I don't do it alone. He had people he was traveling with. He had co-ministers, and he's telling them, yeah, you're gonna suffer, but guess what? You're not doing it alone. He even tells them in this, why? Because you know what? The more I suffer, the more Christ shines brightly because in my weakest, Christ shines brightest and more people see and more people know and there will be. All of this is for your benefit and as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving and God will receive more and more glory. Wow. More and more. Can you imagine if the world outside these walls saw this as a regular thing, saw the church working together, leaning on each other in our weakest points, getting together and shining bright. How does that change the social narrative? If the church is known in a place where you don't walk alone, where you don't have to come all shiny, polished marble, but you can come a cracked clay pot, dirty and broken, and we work together. That's the church shining brightly. That's the church walking through it together. And that's what Paul is saying. I don't do it alone, and I don't do it for no reason. I do it for Christ. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, we thank you. Thank you so much that we don't go it alone. Thank you that it's not just battles and being tackled and being pushed down and being left alone being bruised and left for dead that's not how you leave us you bring us with you and you stay with us and you are in us Holy Spirit we thank you for that God we thank you that when we face the awful parts of life you're with us and it's for a reason and a purpose thank you Father